Money FM 89.3, best of the breakfast huddle. The Bigger Picture with Ryan Huang. Money FM 89.3. Good morning. It's the breakfast huddle. Elliot Danker, Bharati Jagdish, and Ryan Huang. Time now for The Bigger Picture. And we haven't spoken about China for a while. And there are quite a number of things to look out for today. Mm, Lots, it seems. Inflation risks are building. New COVID-19 outbreaks are dimming the outlook for economic growth. And so much more in terms of the plenary session, what to expect at the upcoming plenary session as well. What can you tell us, Ryan? Yeah, lots to watch out for from China. Slew of issues, including that high-profile meeting. And to get a better picture, we've got Tommy Xie. He is the head of Greater China Research and Strategy at OCBC Bank. Morning, Tommy. How are you doing today? Good morning, Ryan. I'm good. Thanks for inviting Hey, Tommy, glad to have you on because you are the China expert and we have, of course, right at the top of the list, this very important meeting taking place this week. It's the sixth plenary session of the 19th Communist Party Central Committee. What's the significance of this and what are you watching out for from these meetings? I think in terms of what to watch out for for the meeting, so maybe let me give you three points. I mean, the first one is that usually there's no fixed theme for the sixth plenum of the CPC Central Committee meeting. I mean, for example, the last sixth plenum meeting in 2016, mainly talking about the governance issues. Well, the two sixth plenum meetings during the President Hu Jintao's time focused mainly on like building harmony society and uh, deepening reform on the cultural. So overall, I think the six plenum meetings are more about the ideology rather than the, like the real business. My second point is that what makes this meeting special is that we're going to see a landmark party resolution which will be tabled this time. So this resolution will be mainly on the major achievements and the historical experience of the party's 100-year history. So this will be the third resolution in the past 100 years. So the first one is a 1945 resolution. The second one is a 1981 resolution. I think if you look at the first two, right, I mean, the both resolutions examined the mistakes made by the predecessors of the party and also mark the start of a change, right? So, but this time we are unlikely to see any, you know, the major U-turn this time. I don't think we're going to see any you know, major mistakes mentioned by the current leadership. So therefore we can say this uh, resolution may be less influential as compared to the first two. So this also leads me to my third point. I think the purpose of the resolution in this plenum meeting is probably setting the tone you know, for the policy direction, as well as reassuring President Xi Jinping's uh, status as the core of the leadership. I mean, just to recall, back in the sixth plenum meeting in 2016, so the meeting uh, basically established presidency's status as the core of the CPC Central Committee as well as, well as the, uh, the whole party members. So in the following year, in 2017, you know, uh, she's thought on the socialism with Chinese characteristics for the new era was officially instituted at the 19th Party Congress, right? So I think this time, this week's meeting will play, play a role in building the consensus among the party elites, you know, to give the presidency maybe the mandate to start a soul-searching for the party for the next 100 years. Yeah, this is the last big meeting in China's five years political cycle. So it's going into next year's Congress. So last chance for horse trading or forming of internal consensus. So a lot to watch out for. And talk about positioning China for the future. It comes amid a backdrop of many issues. We've got COP26 underway. And it's worth noting, China's 
absence in terms of Xi Jinping is one of the most criticized issues. What do you make of it? How much or how committed is China to climate change when it's not going to COP26, at, at least with yeah. the leadership being, being there? Yeah, I mean, certainly it's a news, but frankly speaking, I don't have much to comment on this issue. But I guess it's probably the personal preference and the choice as well, right? Mm. I mean, I mean, for most of us here in Singapore, we have been working from home in the past one and a half months, but it does not mean we are not working, right? I mean, President Xi's absence does not mean China's stall in its efforts to fulfill the you know the climate target. So we have talked about like power shortage for the past four months. I mean, this to some extent is the price. China paid for their commitment to reduce the reliance on the fossil fuel. I mean, just over the weekend, we also saw China issue the circular on the further prevention and the control of the pollutions. I mean, mm. they are setting the target, quantified target in terms of the you know reduction of the carbon dioxide, etc. So, as a China watchers on the regular basis, I do sense you know China is still very committed. We are still seeing a lot of measures in, in more details in the past few few months coming out of China. Yeah, you mentioned a power crisis, so that's really bringing up the issue of how much of a potential slowdown we might see in the fourth quarter. Right. But it's worth noting, over the weekend, we saw exports beat expectations coming in with a growth of 27.1%. What's your reading of where China's growth is going from here? Bearing in mind, we will get some inflation data uh, down the week. Yes, I mean, in the near term, I would say China is facing a lot of the challenges, right? For example, we are seeing the disruption on the supply side, you know, and we are also seeing the significant slowdown in the property market. I think the property market is one of the key, we call the great rhino risk for China, mm. right? So, I mean, we, are, we start to see the spillover basically to the uh, downstream sectors. For example, some kind of the sales is slowing down, and not only for the housing, it, even for the electronic appliances. So, and also, so we are seeing some kind of the demand disruption from the sporadic, you know, outbreak of the Delta variant in the different parts of the Chinese, you know, provinces. So I think then together we do see a lot of near-term challenges. So that's why I think we do expect the growth to slow down further in the, in the fourth quarter, most likely to be maybe slightly below three uh, percent for the fourth quarter. But but China is a big economy, right? So that's the beauty of the big economy. So just now I talk about the trade numbers are still on the strong side. So as a big economy, you have a lot of engines, right? Even though you mm. lose one engine, let's say your property market is losing, but somehow you can still find other engines to support the economy. So we have the external demand seems like it's still on the stronger side. Then we have the rebound of the manufacturing investment. So it, when we talk about investment, usually we have the three pillars, like the property investment, manufacturing investment, as well as the infrastructure investment. With the losing part of the property investment, but somehow the manufacturing investment is big, picking up to offset. I mean, hopefully for next year, we're going to see more acceleration of the uh, infrastructure investment as well. So that's why I think then we are not particularly bearish, even though yet we do reckon there's the short-term uh, disruption. Yeah, talk about inflationary pressures, Tommy. You mentioned um, this is going to be something to watch out for uh, in terms of how costs are rising in China. So we are looking out for whether we will see factory gate prices later this week to hit another fresh 26-year yes. high. So how much of this will feed into other countries because we will see this being passed on in some way to the rest of the supply chain? Uh, yes, I think uh, for the PTI, likely we're going to see another record. So in terms of the pass-through, uh, seems like it's still manageable at the moment. So even you look at the CPI in China, I mean, the CPI in China is still relatively on the low side. That's why we're seeing the significant gap 
between the PPI and the CPI. So this uh, usually translates to, to the pressure for the smaller com- uh, companies in the downstream sectors, which will require uh, more government policy support to the SMEs. But in terms of the spillover to the rest of the region, we are seeing a little bit, but I don't think so far we are seeing very you know, significant evidence in terms of the spillover to the rest of the region. And Tommy, just to wrap things up, you mentioned a property tax. Now, this is becoming a controversial issue within China as well because the local governments rely on land sales for at least, I believe, 40% uh, of their revenues at least. So this is going to help you know, bring down prices of property, but at the same time, I guess, hinder local governments in terms of revenue income. How much of ripple effect will this have in terms of short-term pain? Yes, I mean, in terms of this expansion of the, you know, the trial of the prop text, so, so far we don't have much more details because we're still you know, waiting for more details from the State Council. So, in terms of the uh, final rollout of this uh, new, new round of the trial, I think most likely it will be towards the end of next year and early maybe 2023. That's why I think the immediate impact could be still quite limited, but it's more like in terms of the impact on the sentiment because people know you know, it's real this time, right? I mean, we have been talking about the property tax for the past 10 years, but the progress is very slow. But this time people realize, oh, it's, it's real. That's why we are going to see some kind of the reshuffle in terms of the demand supply matrix. Uh, I, I mean, that's probably contributing to the short-term pain. But in the longer run, I mean, frankly speaking, I don't think the property tax is a game changer. I mean, it, it does increase the holding costs for the speculators. It does, it, it, it's not really the game changer. I mean, we take a Singapore, for example, we do have the property tax here in Singapore. It does, it does not mean with in case of the property tax, we're going to see the significant slowdown of the property market, right? I think in the longer run, the property tax does help us to have you know, healthy demand and also to you know, become one of the channels for government to you know, uh, optimize their revenue resource. I think that's probably the real purpose of the property tax here. Okay, China recalibrating the property sector to some extent there. And lots to watch out for in China, including the sixth plenary session happening this week. With Chairman Tommy Sia, he's the head of Greater China Research and Strategy at OCBC Bank. Tommy, thanks for your time this morning. Thank you so much. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg. Or download our audio app, that's A-W-E-D-I-O, available on Google Play or the App Store.